Hey, good morning, Harvest. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus, second book in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 14 as we continue in this series through the book of Exodus. You know, as you're turning there, when I was growing up as a kid, man, we, we road tripped a lot. And now with my kids, my girls love it too. They, they love the whole get up before the sun gets up, pile into the car, and let's get on the road. Now, now as, as a kid, though, let me say something to you younger people watching right now. When I was a kid on those long road trip drives, do you know what we had to entertain ourselves? Yeah, nothing, nothing. No iPhones, no iPads, no movies. We made up alphabet games. We, we would look for license plates from different provinces or different states. We, we would play I Spy games. And, and when we got bored, we'd say, Mom, Dad, I'm bored. You know what they'd say? Look out the window. Like, that was it. The, the window was our entertainment. Now, we also had the joy of, if you ever had one of these, those old station wagons where you had that seat that faced backwards, so you had this awesome place to sit and look right into the eyes of the trucker who's following you, right? Or, or, or we could lay down, we're tired, just lay down right on the floor of the car because in the 70s and 80s, they didn't care about our safety. So, hey, seatbelts, whatever, kids, go ahead and lay there, right? Listen, here's something, though, that every parent, whether me growing up as a kid or, or you as kids, now every parent would hear these words on every road trip, and you know what they are, right? Are we there yet? There are times as a, as a kid when you'd be in the back seat and, and the trip is taking a long time that you maybe have gone off in a different direction. You'd be wondering, man, do my parents know what they're doing? Do they know where we're going? Like, like when are we going to stop and eat lunch? When are we going to get to where we're going? When are we going to stop to go pee? And it's one of the greatest lessons of parenthood that you, you never get as a kid, but, but here it is, your parents know things you don't know. They, they see things you don't see. They, they have plans that, that you may not know about. And we can look at times in our lives where, where it seems like our, our whole life is on a detour, right? Our plans aren't coming together as we thought that they would. The, the things that we'd hoped for haven't been realized yet. The relationship that we wanted, the, the relationship that hasn't been reconciled, the finances that are difficult, our, our health that's up in the air, the marriage that's still hard, the, I'm not in school right now and I'm missing my friends in isolation. And you can think in these moments, even in the season we're in right now, okay, God, what are you doing? Do, do you have a plan for this? Like, where are we going? What's your purpose? In the chapter we're hitting in Exodus this morning, you see the Israelites asking these very same questions. They can't see what God sees. They can only see their circumstances around them, and, and the circumstances they're in, they, they don't look good. In fact, as we jump into Exodus chapter 14, there's actually a verse in the New Testament that I want to lay over this whole story, this whole passage we're in this morning in Exodus. In fact, that verse is found in Hebrews chapter 2. And in Hebrews chapter 1, you, you see no commands given all through Hebrews chapter 1. It's just this, this picture of who Christ is and how God has given us Jesus Christ. And it's, it's the gospel of Christ, the power of Christ, the perfection of Christ, the glory of, of Christ, the amazing truth of who he is. And then in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, you hit this first command. And it says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. 
There's this command that now comes out, and it says, pay attention to what you've heard. Pay attention to what was just laid out in Hebrews chapter 1. Pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to his word. So as we jump into, we jump into the, the text we're going to be looking at here in Exodus chapter 14, this is what I want, to, I want you to lay over the whole thing that what we're looking at is this idea of pay attention to Jesus. Our attention can be drawn to so many things. There, there are so many voices we can be listening to, so many places that we can look to. And what the author of Hebrews is saying, say, hey, hey, where are you looking right now? Are, are you looking at your circumstances? Are, are you looking at your trials? Are, are, are you looking at a, a future that's uncertain? Are you looking at what's going on around you? Or, or are you looking to Jesus? In fact, it says, pay much closer attention. That when the crisis is in front of us, that when our attention is, is drawn away, the call here is pay close attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. Hebrews 12 says the same thing. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because when everything around us is uncertain, we can fix our eyes on him. We can remember the gospel again. We can read his word. And it's not crazy complicated. It's not a difficult command to us. Hey, fix your eyes on Jesus. Have your heart inclined to him. Waking up in the morning, you grab the word. You're like, man, I want to grab this first. I want to fix my eyes on you today, Lord. God, would you have my attention be on you? I'm going to be drawn so many other places today. God, I want to see you first. And, and here's why. Here's the thing. Pay close attention to Christ. Look at the gospel. Be in the word. Why? Because we drift away from it. We drift. We, we float. We, we cruise. That's just our default as, as people that, that when we do nothing, when we're not fixing our eyes, when we're not paying close attention, we naturally end up drifting. I mean, I've, I've used this illustration before that, that you, when... My kids were young, and we'd take the big trip down to Barry because we wanted to go to a mall or go to a bigger store. We would stand out as obviously people who weren't from the city because my kids would freak out over escalators. Right? There's an escalator, right? We're like the hicks going, look at them stairs. They're moving. And our kids would like run and go, Dad, can we go on the escalator? And, and the funnest thing as a kid, maybe you remember this, or maybe you are a kid right now, or maybe you're still a kid at heart and you love this too. The funnest thing about escalators is running up the down escalator, right? Now, now, here's the thing about when you run up a, a down escalator, when you stop, when you stop moving, you actually don't stop moving. When you stop on that down escalator, when you stop going up, you start to drift back. I mean, that's the point of this verse here. It's saying, pay close attention to Jesus because when you don't, when you stop, there is no standing still. Rather fixing our eyes, paying attention to Christ, or we're drifting. But I, I love the way out of drifting. The way out of drifting is not do more, strive more, do more of these things. It's not about skill or experience. The, the way out of drifting is pay close attention. Look to Jesus. 
That's not a tough command. Grab God's word and look for Jesus. Begin today, leaning in rather than drifting. Even asking God right now as you're listening to this sermon, God, would you draw my heart to see Jesus? Give me the desire. I want to pay attention to you. And it's out of this that we come to Exodus 14. Exodus 14 is this, this great story, and, and, and you don't need to have grown up in the church to, to know this, to have heard about this, the crossing of the Red Sea. Right? And whether you picture Charlton Heston or whether you picture a Disney cartoon, I mean, it's a pretty famous scene. But here's the thing about Exodus 14. It's not just a historical account. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says that, that all of Exodus is written for us so that we would remember, so that we would look back at that and, and from that look to our own lives and look to the cross of Christ and see that our freedom is only found there. That we would understand the good news that we've been bought out of slavery to sin and shame and brokenness and death and we've been bought with a price, the cross of Christ, and now brought into this freedom. In fact, Exodus 14, what we're about to read this morning, it becomes this focus point like for the next thousands of years that follow after Exodus 14, all through the Old Testament when, when God's people begin to drift, when they disobey, when they rebel, when they go from God, you are amazing. We trust you. We never doubt you. And then a day later, they're like, man, we don't trust you. We're following ourselves, man. I got to rely on me. And then God crushes them, brings in something where they, they, they see their weakness. And they come back and they say, we're not going to doubt you anymore. And then they rebel and sin and forget and drift and God crushes them and to teach them. And, and it's this ongoing cycle all the way through the Old Testament. And every time, every time that they deny God's power, every time they drift, God brings them back to Exodus 14. And he says, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you out of the house of slavery. I'm the one who divided the sea so you could walk across on dry land. He doesn't just point to generalities. He doesn't just point to history and, and say, hey, here's some things. You know that I'm a good God. No, he points them back to this epic moment of Exodus 14. He says, fix your eyes on this. Remember who I am. Remember that I'm your deliverer. I'm your redeemer. So let's jump in then. Let's jump in and see what's going on here in Exodus 14. And if you're taking notes, you can even start here that when life looks bad, I mean, the, the Israelites have just left Egypt. You think, man, this is a good news story, yet here we come to Exodus 14 and things look bad. They're on their way to the promised land and they're finally free, right? 430 years they've been slaves, but, but as God releases them, he, he takes them on a different path than they would have thought they should go. In fact, if you have your Bibles open to Exodus 14, look at verse one. It says, the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of some place, now it's Pi-Heroth, between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. So here you see in the, in the first two verses there that, that God has them going in this certain direction. Now, if they would have left Egypt, you would think the quickest way to go would be come out of Egypt, head east, and then start heading north. And you'd follow this main highway called the Via Maris or the way by the sea and, and it would have meant leaving Egypt and you just take this path up north and yet what happens is God takes them south. 
and he has them set up camp, and he has them set up camp by the sea. Now, now if you're on vacation, you're thinking, what a great place to camp. We're just going to camp by the sea. It's so beautiful. But if you've just escaped from the, the most powerful nation on the planet, and now God has you set up with Egypt right behind you, the sea in front of you, no place to escape. And so from an outside perspective, looking in, you go, man, this is not a good start to the journey. Like if you were an Israelite at that time and you had any sense of, of how military would work, you'd be like, this is a horrible place to set up camp. Why are we here? In fact, they were right to be worried because look at verse 5. Verse 5, it says this, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we've done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. So now you have, these, you have these people of Israel. Picture where they are. They're camped in this place where, where they have no, no escape because the sea's in front of them. And coming behind them, you have these fighting machines, these chariots, part of what made them the greatest military power on the planet of that time. They're coming hard with nowhere for the Israelites to run. I mean, just moments before this, if you're an Israelite, you'd be high-fiving each other and saying, We're free! And right away, they're filled with fear and anxiety, and they have this struggling, small faith, and they wonder, what is God doing? Does he have a plan? Can we trust him? Is he going to take care of our needs? Is he going to protect us? Was all this a dream? Like, Like we thought we were free, but maybe we're not actually free. Maybe this morning you can relate to those thoughts. Maybe you've had those very same questions. I mean, even the most mature follower of Christ can still be hit with situations where you ask, God, are you there? Again, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. In these moments where we're wondering what's going on, we need to remember the character of God and the promises of God in the gospel. Because look what happens. The Israelites look at the situation they're in. Pharaoh coming behind them, the sea in front of nowhere to escape. And, and what's it say in verse 10? Look at verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. They're filled with fear. They're not free anymore. They, they thought they were free, but now in fear, in fear, they're trapped again. In fact, they, they cry out as verse 10 goes on. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us and bring us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now in reality, they're saying, hey, hey, didn't we tell you this? They didn't actually say that. I mean, you go back in the the book of Exodus when Moses said, hey, I'm going to set you free. God sent me and God's going to redeem us to set us free. In Exodus chapter 4, what do they do? They worship God. They had their eyes focused on God. They, they saw his character and his promise of redemption. But now, now their trials are so much bigger than their view of God. 
They're paying more attention to the reality of their circumstances. And and just like we do, they start to to drift. And they start to drift and create their own narrative. They're like, you know what? Slavery in Egypt wasn't really that bad. My my old life wasn't wasn't all that bad. That that sin I used to struggle with, maybe it's not all that bad. Those addictions that used to have a hold on me, maybe I can have control over them now. I think I need to take control. I don't want to follow God anymore. And they create a narrative about God. Right? We start to think, you know, maybe, maybe God never really cared for me. Maybe these people around me, maybe they've never really loved me. We, we create a new story in the midst of our fear, and we're filled with unbelief. And they cry out, it would have been better if we were slaves in Egypt than to die here. And you notice in this statement, leave us alone that we can serve the Egyptians. It'd be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What's missing from this statement? They're saying we could serve the Egyptians or we could die in the wilderness. Their eyes are off of God. God's not even in the equation anymore. And and think about what they had just seen as they were being set free from Egypt. They'd seen 10 of the most powerful, miraculous plagues sent by God to deliver them from the strongest nation on earth. They had front row seats to see God give evidence of his power and his love for them. And and God doing all of this to to serve his purposes, to to fulfill his promises. And they're standing in that reality of God's glory being set free where his, his character is still true. His promises are still true. But they look at their situation. They take their eyes off of God. And it says they look up at Pharaoh. And they drift into doubt. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there right now. God, I don't like this situation. God, where are you? And their their eyes have drifted so much to their circumstances, God's not even in the equation any longer. They're not even thinking about God. They're in a place of hopelessness. They're in a place where they should be walking in freedom because they belong to God, but they aren't free. They're slaves, again, they're slaves to fear. They're slaves to worry and anxiety. They're slaves to their circumstances. They have no foundation, no center, nothing to grab a hold of, nothing to hold on to, so that now whatever happens around them is what controls them. It's what rules them. Now remember, God had called them to freedom, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't this. Remember, remember a long time ago when we first started this series, God didn't say, hey, let my people go. Because that's not freedom. The freedom is not, hey, now you're your own. Now you can drift wherever you want. No, God said, let my people go that they may worship me. We're not free until we're in worship, until we see God completely overtaken by his glory, by his beauty, by his majesty, by his power, by his holiness. Until our eyes are there, we worship other things. We look in other places and we begin to drift until we're trapped in fear, in sin, in pride, in anxiety, in apathy, and Pharaoh's coming after them. He's saying, I'm coming to take you back because I own you. Listen, I think we have this view of sin that is so thin, it's so unhealthy how we look at sin. And, and yeah, we get that sin's destructive. We, we can look at certain sins that we would struggle with and go, yeah, I, I can see how they're not good for me. Yeah, I can see how how pornography would damage my soul and hurt my marriage. 
yeah, yeah, I can see how my pride gets the best of me. I can, I can see how my anger can be destructive, how my fear, my greed, my apathy, I can see they're not good, but we, we have this idea that we can flirt with that sin for a bit. And I, I'm just going to play with it because it provides something for me right now. And I'll play with it until I'm done with it. And when it doesn't provide for me anymore, when it stops, give me what I'm longing for, man, then I can just step away from it. Nothing could be further from the truth. As, as Pharaoh comes to attack, there's this picture of the nature of sin where sin presses in on us and says this, says, you serve me and you serve me or you die. Because sin's jealous. I mean, Satan wants no part in sharing you with anyone or anything else. And, and, and sin is not interested in just playing around with you for a while and then, hey, you know what, after a little while, I'll just let you go on your merry way. No, sin owns you, wants to, wants to keep you, wants to hold on to you. It's, it's why we wrestle with some sins for years and years. It's, it's why letting go of, of sin, some sins, I mean, it can feel like death to let that go, to let go of my control, to let go of my fear, to let go of my pride, to let go of my lust. I mean, it's, it's, it feels like death. Why? Because it's saying, serve me or die. And as you begin to repent and you say, listen, I'm not pursuing this anymore. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. I, I'm turning away from this and I'm putting my eyes to the cross. Listen, it can at times feel like death. Why? Why? Because it is. Because for us, we can't do, we can't put that sin to death, but Jesus can. The gospel is not a story of of bad people becoming good people or, or good people becoming better people. The gospel is this, dead people becoming alive. And, and dead people don't make themselves alive. We're in this desperate need of a new heart. And, and, and what happens is as we start to move our worship and fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus begins to take care of that heart. Listen, this is how the gospel begins. If, if you're not a Christ follower, you're saying, man, how do I pursue Jesus? How do I give my life to Christ? It starts there where you say, I'm done with that sin. I'm not looking there anymore. I want to put my whole life, rest everything on Christ. Be submitted to him. Be owned by him. Pursue after him. It's trusting in his finished work on the cross and saying, that's what takes care of me. Listen, if you're a Christ follower, you go about the the journey with Christ in the same way where every day, moment by moment, you're fixing your eyes on the cross of Christ saying, Jesus, you've taken care of it. You've done the battle. You've won the victory. And every day we come back to this gospel, remember that we are free, not free to be in charge of our own life. I mean, you, you see what's happening here with the Israelites. I mean, they're, 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 they're set free from Pharaoh, but they're not really free. They're still being chased down again. They're, they're still in fear. Why? Because true freedom is only found when we rest ourselves surrendered completely to Christ. Remember, God says, I'm setting you free to what? To worship me. God says, you're mine. And this is what the Israelites had lost sight of in this moment. So when, when life looks bad, pay close attention to the gospel. Pay close attention to God's promises, to God's plans, to God's character. 
that you'd remember again that God just doesn't deliver. He doesn't just save, but he fully provides. He, he walks alongside. He completely sets you free. And I love it because when the Israelites leave Egypt, I mean, they're in such a hurry. They have only time to grab what they can. They, yeah, they plunder the Egyptians because it's total victory that God provides, but they're, they're running out quickly. They, they don't grab all the supplies you would need for a long journey in the wilderness because they're leaving in a hurry. But listen, the Exodus did not take God by surprise. This is by divine design that God's looking to teach his people something, something so important that, that he doesn't just deliver, he also provides. God wants them to know, hey, listen, I've set you free to be mine. You're now, he calls them, you're my treasured possession. For you as a Christ follower, God says, you're my treasured possession. I mean, do you get that? That, that when you're his treasured possession, he says, you're mine. I'm going to care for you because you're treasured. You're not just like a, a, a McDonald's drive through toy, right? Where, where you get that toy and you're like, oh, this is going to be so great. Your kids are so excited to get it and they get the toy. This is so fun. And like in 10 minutes, it's under the car seat, forgotten about forever. Or, or it finds its way into the junk drawer in your kitchen or that, that box you have of why do we have so much plastic crap in our house, right? And let's get back to it. It's not like that, but you're a prized, treasured possession. That God's not redeeming you to desert you, to leave you behind. I mean, here's something that the, the Israelites forgot. In fact, if you go back to chapter 13, before we get to chapter 14, look at verse 21 of chapter 13. It says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud. So they're being released from Egypt. The God's, God's going before them as this pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. God's going before them. God's, God didn't just, didn't just deliver them. He's now leading them, providing for them his presence, his protection, his provision, his leading with them all the time. In fact, in the midst of Pharaoh coming after them, it says they turned their eyes and saw Pharaoh when all they needed to do was look up and see God's presence. Say, God's still with us. You have to ask, though, in this moment, man, God, why would you choose to lead them there? I mean, I'd be like, Moses, are you sure you're following the right cloud? Like, why would God take us here? Doesn't God want to bless us? Like, like why would he give us struggles if God wants to bless us? And, and again, listen, God has a deeper plan and greater purposes, and often, often, it includes dark valleys. It includes barren wilderness. In fact, when you... Look at chapter 14, look at verse 3 and 4. You see God's plan that they didn't see, but God was at work. Why would he lead them there? It says this, For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. This is all part of God's plan. That Pharaoh's military would be watching. They would see the Israelites leave and head south and, and head to where they're going. And they'd be like, wait a minute, these guys are disoriented. They're, they're confused, man. Those Israelites are so dumb, man. Let's go after them. Pharaoh, let's get these losers back. But I love this. God's setting all of this up. 
God completely in control. Listen, God in control. All a part to display his glory and his powers so that, so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians and listen, and the Israelites would know that he is the Lord. This whole thing, this whole thing, a trap set up for Pharaoh. Israel is the cheese. All for God's glory. It's going to be so obviously clear to everyone that this was by God's mighty hand to to teach his people again that they can trust in his care, in his promises. That they would have no illusions that any of this was by their own awesomeness, right? That they're not leaving Egypt thinking, man, we did this, we're so good. That whole unleavened bread so we could leave quickly, man, what a cool idea, we're brilliant. No, no, God says, listen, I'm going to put you in a place where you're going to be trapped. I'm going to put an army coming behind you. I'm going to put the sea in front of you. I want you to be in a place where you don't know what to do. Why? Because I want to show you the the deep power of sin so you get how dark it is. I want you to show how hopeless you are without me. And it's, it's in those moments of hopelessness that God seems to do his greatest work. It's in those valleys. It's, it's in the wilderness. I mean, here's what's so comforting about Exodus chapter 14. It's so good to know that in the hard places of life that there are divine purposes behind them. That God's still at work in all of this. That God would be orchestrating the events of our lives, even putting us, listen, in situations that are going to be difficult. And and we may never fully understand what God's plan is, what what his purpose is, and and why this is happening. Like, why would would my season be so hard right now? Why the health problem? Why the marriage struggle? Why the relationship difficulties? Why the social isolation away from my friends? Why is my future in jeopardy right now? We may not get those answers on this side of heaven, but listen, we can pay attention to Jesus in the midst of them. We can take those those struggles to the gospel and take hope that nothing, not even the trials of life, are outside of God's control. And this is what makes the prosperity gospel such a junk, junk theology, which is, oh, oh, God only wants to give you blessings. You just need more faith. You just need to pray harder. Listen, I'll tell you what makes Jesus look so beautiful. It's when you find yourself in those dark valleys, in that dark night of the soul, in that wilderness experience, and you look to Jesus. You look to his gospel. You see the cross and the resurrection, and through the deepest pain you're in, you say, God, you're enough. And you can pray, God, I don't know how this fits into your plan for my life, but, but I, I know the cross. I know that you love me and that you redeemed me. So, so I'm going to rest in the fact that even in this situation, God, you are in control. You know what's going on. That this fits your purposes and your plan somehow. That, that, that in this trial, that you can be glorified. I and mean, here's, here's where God steps into fear and uncertainty and with such clarity, he says, hey, stop drifting. Stop looking in the wrong place. And God steps in in this moment as the, as the Israelites are filled with so much fear and wondering, God, are you in control? And look at verse 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. 
I love this. In that moment, God speaks. He says, fear not. Fear not. Now, I love it, it says, fear not. It, it's, it's not that Moses doesn't start talking about the ridiculousness of, of them looking to the wrong place, of, of look at you drift, look at where you're going. No, he's not going to talk about Pharaoh coming. He just starts here. Hey, stop fearing. He goes to the, the core issue. He goes to what's underneath what they're saying, which is fear. The root cause of their comments, it's rooted in fear. God, we don't trust you. And Moses says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. And this is the same call as a verse we saw in Hebrews, isn't it? Hey, stop drifting. Stand firm. Look, look to your salvation. In fact, the mark of a true child of God is that you won't drift too long. Listen, I've said this before, I've said it this way, that, that sheep will stumble into mud. There are times you, as a Christ follower, you will stumble, you will take your eyes off of Christ, off of the gospel, you will stumble and fall. Sheep will stumble into mud, but, but pigs, pigs wallow in mud. I mean, if you're drifting as a child of God, even this morning, one of, one of the signs of hope you, that, that you are born again, that you have been bought with a price, is that, that you can hear this call of fear not, stand firm, look to Jesus, and there's this rising in your soul, in your heart, where, where you're like, yes, I want to turn my eyes back to Jesus. I want to jump back into the Word. I, I want to call out in prayer. But listen, if, if, if you don't have even that desire in you, That's a scary place to be. It's one of the signs you may not even be born again. I mean, if you hear this and you have no desire to stop drifting, no desire to look to Jesus. I mean, Moses says in the moment, in that midst of drifting, in that midst of where we're looking somewhere to go, he says, listen, stop. Don't fear, stand firm. And then he says this, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The whole storyline of the book of Exodus, in fact, the whole storyline of, of the Bible is that God's the one who delivers his people. God rescues people who could not rescue themselves. And so God says, don't be afraid. Just be still. Be still. Don't fear. Maybe someone listening even right now, you needed to hear that. Stop striving. Stop fighting. Stop fearing. Rest and look for Jesus. Maybe in this season right now where, where fear may have gripped your heart, where, where you're drifting, that, that you would say, Jesus, what are you up to in this? Jesus, what, what are you doing? What do you want to do in my heart? How do you want to be glorified in this? And, and we can look back, and, and, and as we look back over our life, you can look at situations that have been hard, and so often we can see the hand of God through those situations. But when you're in the midst of it, you need to look forward. And, and yeah, I can't see his hand in this, but I'm going to trust his heart. I'm going to look forward through the cross, through the gospel, and God, I trust you in this. That in this difficult season, Jesus, I want to see you. This whole rescue, it makes it so completely, so obviously clear to everyone looking around that this was God's hand at work in this. In fact, look again. Look down at verse 15 of chapter 14. 
As it continues on, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they go out in they go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. And God's saying the whole purpose of this is not just your freedom. The whole purpose of God's plan is for his glory that you would see his power that his purposes, his promises carry more weight than even the Egyptians and their chariots and all their horses. They have more glory than what, that he has more glory than what you fear. He has more glory, more weight in your life than what you drift towards. Verse goes on, verse 19. It says, Then the angel of the Lord, the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved out and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So what's going on here? You see God coming in between the the Israelites as they're crossing through the Red Sea and and coming between them all night. This is there protecting them so that, that the people of Egypt can't get to the people of Israel. God's protection happening there. The verses go on, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And God's showing them, listen, I'm in control. I own the chaos. Pharaoh's not in charge. I'm Yahweh. I'm sovereign. Not your sin, not your circumstances, not even you. And then then you might be asking, yeah, but what about the enemy? What about the sin? And we read as you keep going on in chapter 14 that that God, what did he do? He pulls back the clouds so Pharaoh now can see the the Israelites have escaped across this dry pathway through the Red Sea and, and they run in after them and God confuses them. They drive their chariots into the mud. They get stuck between these walls of water and God says to Moses, stretch out your hand again. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh that followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Pharaoh and the Egyptians wiped out. The people walked through. Now, how did they make it through? I love how Tim Keller talks about this moment and he says it's it's interesting when you think about your salvation, when you think about what it means to to look to Jesus, to put your trust in him. As they walk through the wall of water on either side, some would probably walk through with confidence. Like, yeah, God is good. Yes, the strong hand of the Lord in your face, Pharaoh. And they're walking through going, we're delivered by God. But but there'd be others who'd be walking through in that same path of dry land and be like, come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Please God, please God, please God. And they all come through, all equally saved. Why? Why? I love how Tim Keller says it this way. He says, because you're not saved based on the quality of your faith. You're saved based on the object of your faith. 
It's not about your faith, the size of your faith. It's about what you put your faith in, what you put your trust in. And listen, here it is again from Hebrews. Pay attention to Jesus. Look to the Redeemer, the God who's fighting for you. Exodus, it's saying, God's saying, listen, just stand still because I've already won the battle. That we can look back at that moment. We can look back to the cross and see, God, you've won the biggest battle I'll ever fight. It's already been accomplished. The battle over sin and death and myself that it's been dealt with on the cross so that all the other problems I face are nothing in comparison with that. How do you deal with the seasons in life where, where things are hard, where, where it feels like you're camped out in between a, a chasing army and a huge sea instead of looking at the circumstances and going, this thing is too huge for me. What do you do? You look again at what God has done. You pay attention to Jesus. You look at the gospel again. In fact, I love how this ends. Verse 30, it says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I love that God would do that for them, that, that he doesn't just rescue them so they, they just get to leave, but God knows us so well. He knows, he knows that, that, that maybe a week later or a month later or years later in the middle of the night that we'd wake up in fear, fear that maybe, maybe Pharaoh's still coming after me. Maybe he survived. Maybe he swam out. Maybe my past, maybe my sin is still going to get after me. And God gives this picture of, hey, don't you remember? It's dead. It's gone. So we say, oh yeah, God, you're the one I fear. You're the one who's in charge. You're the one who redeemed me, and it brings us peace. And so now, what do we do? We look to the cross. We see God's wrath fully poured out on Christ, on our sin, on our behalf, that, that Jesus went deep into the sea so that we, we could walk through, that Christ was buried under God's wrath, and now our sin completely dealt with. So we can put our old self to death. We can throw our fear into the sea and let it drown. Now, now sometimes, sometimes we're tempted to drag out that stuff. We're tempted to drag it out every day. Every day we need to believe again, put our faith again, look to Jesus again to know that's dead and gone. And there are seasons, and maybe for you right now, where you need to hear the clear word from God that says, fear not, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. That, that, that Hebrew word here for the salvation, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation, the Hebrew word there is, is Yeshua. Yeshua, where, where we get the word Jesus. Stand firm, be still, see Jesus. Be still, realize that your salvation is from him. That, that that's what you can see. You can't see the future. You can't see what tomorrow can bring, bring but, but you can see Jesus. So look at him, see him, learn about him, read about him, listen to him, know him, fix your eyes on him. Let me pray for us. Spirit of God, I pray that even right now, God, I ask that you, you would give us a zeal to know you, to know your gospel deeply, to know your word more fully, to, to stand in a greater awe of you, 
Lord, Lord God, we thank you that your, your scriptures, are, they're living and they're active. And, and God, that, that, that they, they can get to the very deepest part of us. God, forgive us when we, when we drift, when we drift in fear. And thank you that you cover us. That, that you're faithful even when we don't have faith. That, that when we wrestle in hard times that you're there. Thank you that we've been, we've been set free, free now to walk in joy, to walk in, in that love and to serve others because we know that even in the hardest situations, God, you're in control. God, help us to remember that we're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to sin, but instead you call us your children. God, help us get that in the deepest parts of our soul. It's in your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.